Hey there, workplace warriors. If you are looking to build profitable, lifelong relationships, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Do This, Sell More podcast, where you can make more money than you ever imagined and still get home in time for dinner. Don't miss out on expert tips and strategies from best-selling author Dave Lorenzo and his high-performing guests. The formula is easy. Listen and take action. In other words, do this, sell more. Now, here's your host, the master of relationship sales strategy himself, Dave Lorenzo. Welcome to another edition of the Do This Sell More Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo and I'm your host. And today we are focused on what you need to do to attract and retain repeat business. And we're specifically focused on how you can build a business that is friction free. One of the things I see all the time from my clients and in my own practice of just doing business with numerous professional service providers is that they make it difficult to work with them. Can you imagine? Somebody wants to give you their money and you're making it hard to take it from them. What are you thinking? Well, we're going to adjust your mindset today. This is a session that was recorded live with a bunch of professional service providers. That's right, with probably a dozen, if I remember correctly, a dozen professional service providers in the room, lawyers, CPAs, architects, people who provide services in return for financial compensation. And we have a vigorous, productive discussion on how you can build a friction-free business, a business that makes it easy for clients to work with you, makes it easy for clients to give you their money. Relax and enjoy this episode because it's one that will help you increase the amount of repeat business that you have over the years. At the sound of the tone, it will be time to do this and sell more. All right, let's talk about uh, how to build a friction-free business. Again, I have these notes available for you, so if you just want to listen and participate in the discussion and then I'll send you the notes, um, you know, I'm happy to do that. When I say friction-free business, friction-free law firm, what comes to mind? What do you think of when I use that specific term, friction-free? For you personally, what would you, what would you think that means? Not based on the economy. Huh? Not based on the economy. Interesting, not based on the economy, okay. Processes going, okay, great. Receivables. Receivables, ah, big one, okay, excellent. Anybody else, any other thoughts? You're all right. I think, uh, you know, when it comes to, the term friction is, uh, is a great term because I think it describes what most of us feel when we have to run our businesses, when we have to run our practices. So I have here seven rules for running a, actually eight rules, seven and a bonus rule for running a friction-free business. And some of these I think are gonna surprise you. So rule number one is focus on things that are, things that are strengths for you, okay? Oftentimes we, uh, how many of you here, you're, you're an athlete, right? How many, how many of you here uh, participate in uh, some sort of competitive athletics even at, a, at an advanced age? You play tennis, you play golf, I mean, okay. Um, when, when you do those things, what is your tendency? Do you, uh, is there, is there any one thing that you do well? Uh, throw, my racket. throw your racket. Perfect. Yeah. Pick your partner. <laughs> Pick your partner. All right. So 
typically what happens when, when you train for something is, what, what do we typically do? We pick an area where we're deficient and we work on building up that deficiency, right? Well, one of the things that I learned by default is that as I got older, um, picking an area where I was deficient and trying to become adequate at that required a lot of effort because you know my body's already as developed as it's going to get. I mean, I could I could work on reducing muscular atrophy, um, but you know, picking an area that's deficient and just making it adequate requires a lot more effort than picking an area of strength and focusing on that. All right, it is much more productive for you in business, in athletics, and in life to pick an area that you're already good at and leverage that to the hilt. So let me give you some examples, okay? The first example I'll give you is when it comes to business origination, if you're good at speaking, speak as much as possible. Invest as much time as you can getting speaking engagements because you'll enjoy doing it, you'll be far more productive from a business development standpoint, and you'll find that people will respond to you in a way that is, uh, they'll respond more enthusiastically because your passion and your uh, talent for doing that will come through. You know, we take people in businesses, particularly law firms, and we tell them, you know, if you're, if you're in a big firm and you have a marketing person, the marketing person will say, all right, you gotta write, you gotta write, you gotta write, you gotta write, you gotta get speaking engagements, and you gotta go network, right? Well, if you hate networking, if you hate people, if you hate meeting new people, the worst thing you can do is force yourself to go to a Chamber of Commerce event where there's 150 people and you're looking at the room going, who the hell am I gonna meet here that's gonna give me some business, right? Meanwhile, you're a good speaker, invest that time in finding speaking gigs, invest that time in developing a new presentation, invest that time in delivering the talk because that's your strength. So rule number one, focus on your strengths. Spend 80% of your time doing what you're good at, what you like to do, okay? The same thing holds true for if you're in a firm and you work with partners and you're great at numbers, tell your partners, hey listen, you manage the people, I'll take care of the accounting, let me handle the accounting, all right, or vice versa. Focus on your strengths, recognize where you're strong and leverage that and find other people to help you complement the areas where you're not strong. We're all too old. To, to learn, to quote unquote, learn new tricks, okay? Learn new tricks in your areas of strength, whether it's in business development or practice management or even in the practice of law. Leverage your strengths and focus on bringing people in to help you support your areas of, uh, of you know, weakness or you know, non-strength if we wanna be politically correct. Questions on that? Any thoughts? Mitch, what are you thinking? Um. I agree. I, I think that uh, you know time is precious, and uh, you know it's funny. I went to a lunch yesterday with a with a guy that uh, was kind of celebrating the fact that we had a great result for him, and how appreciative he was. And the meeting led to discussions about future things I can do for him, and that I, that he can do for me. And uh, and I thought, wow, this is a much better use of my time, and I'm good at that than being back in my office cranking out some, some paper, some right. paper of some kind. Right. And that I can do that, let my associate do that, and this is what I'm good at, this is where I should be. And sure. That's what I was thinking. Great. Mm -hmm. So rule number one is focus on your strengths. Rule number two, outsource, delegate, or automate your weaknesses. Um, I, and I'll give you an example of automating, uh, you know, to get to work around weaknesses. 
One of my biggest weaknesses is managing my calendar and scheduling. So I found a program. It is the greatest thing ever. Um, it's called uh, Acuity Scheduling. And what I did was I got a, uh, a vanity URL, timewithdave.com, and I point it to my calendar. And when I onboard a new client, a new one-on-one -on -one client, I say to them, um, okay, you have unlimited access to me. Um, my calendar is available at timewithdave.com. I have specific times blocked off. All you need to do is go in there. You can select whatever time you want. Go nuts. Book, uh, book as many appointments as you like. Go to the calendar. And I've gone in there and blocked out time for writing, time for meetings, that sort of thing. So there's a half dozen slots available every week. And now these folks can go in and schedule the time themselves. And it's perfect because the going back and forth of scheduling appointments, either via email or phone calls, is a pain in the neck. And then for me, having somebody else schedule me has always been a huge challenge because I'll offer you a time and you know, Carrie's meanwhile scheduling something and then you come back with the time and she books something at the same time. Now we have a conflict. So that automation has saved me fantastic amount of time and it's really bolstered one of my weaknesses. So outsource, delegate, or uh, automate your weaknesses. Rule number one, focus on your strengths. Rule number two, uh, outsource, delegate, automate your weaknesses. All right, rule number three, and we can spend as much time on this as you want, simplify payment to you. <clears throat> Make it really easy for people to pay you, okay? Um, my preference is to get paid up front. I had a, uh, so I had a situation, I, um, Tannenbaum warned me about this and I didn't listen to him. Um, so I started, uh, I started a baseball team for my kid, right? And, um, you know, the, the, the parents have been a huge, huge pain in my neck. The kids are fantastic. The kids are doing great. They're coming along, but the parents have been a huge pain in the neck. And the biggest problem is, I shouldn't say the biggest problem, the biggest problem is their personalities, but the second biggest problem is the money, okay? It's the money. We go to a tournament, people have to pay, right? We get new uniforms, people have to pay. Um, you know, we need equipment, people have to pay. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where it, it's a business in and of itself. So I, when, the, when we onboarded the new kids, when the new kids came out, I gave the parents a whole list of things, the, the way the team was going to be run. And I said, here's what we're going to do. You're all going to give me 500 bucks at the beginning of the year. The league fee is 285. The uniforms are 100 bucks. Anything that's left over, I'll give back to you at the end of the year. And one parent said, well, I just want to pay monthly because who pays, you know, who pays for anything in advance? And I said, I'll tell you, people who work with me pay in advance. I don't go anywhere unless I get paid in advance. I don't speak, I don't work with clients, I don't do anything, I don't have any accounts receivable. And you know why? Because I don't want any accounts receivable. That's one of the conditions I set when people work with me. They pay me in advance. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, I work with XYZ company and they're huge and they pay net 90 days and that's just the way it is. I understand, okay? I'm gonna tell you a little story. When I was at Gallup, we had, uh, we had a compensation system that went like this. And maybe you guys in, in firms had this compensation system. My pay as a partner in the firm was that I got, um, I got a base salary for my first year. After my first year, 
my entire when I when I made partner, my entire salary was based on what I brought in, what I had under production personally, and what I managed. That's what my pay was. Um, I got shares in the in the firm as a bonus for everything that I did over anything my group did over ten million dollars. But my compensation was based on those three factors. Um, but it wasn't based on recorded revenue. It was based on paid and collected. Okay, you compensate your your guys that way, your folks paid and collected. Paid and collected. Yeah. Huh? Right. So right. So here's the deal. If you know, if I sold something, and we didn't collect, I didn't get paid. Okay. But the people who did the work still had to get paid. So you know, it's a it's a problem. So my my group, we instituted a practice where we didn't start any work until people paid. Now, you're talking about engagements that start at, our minimum engagement when I started was $250,000, but once my group was established, a million bucks was our, was our minimum engagement fee. We worked with Fortune 100 clients. Um, I signed up IBM. My father worked for IBM for 40 years, my mother 18 years. And when I told my parents, hey listen, IBM just signed a contract, my father was like, well good luck getting paid. You know, they pay, they pay everything like net 90. And he said they'll even, my father worked in the treasury. Yeah, and my father worked, my father worked in the treasury department. And he said, and they'll try and leverage you for the net 90. So, uh, so he, he tells me this and you know, my palms are getting sweaty right now, even thinking about this story. So he tells me this and I got a whole bunch of people at the office who were so excited that we got IBM as a client. I called my contact and I said, uh, you know, my, my father's a 40-year IBMer, my mother worked for IBM for 18 years, I, I don't know that we're going to be able to do business with you. And my contact is freaking out, he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I already told my boss, everybody's really excited, this, you know, we really, need the, we really need this project to go well. And I said, well, my, my parents told me that, you know, your, your policy is to pay net 90 and the way we do business, in fact, it's in the engagement agreement, you'll see it, is that we, we have to get paid upfront. I said, uh, and we'll, we will guarantee that we will deliver the results. I said, we'll stipulate to whatever penalties you want if we don't deliver on time. Um, you know, and we're, we're a big company. I mean, you know, we're not going anywhere, but our, our process is that our fee would have to be one and a half times what it is if we had accounts receivable. And the guy says to me, oh, I see. And I said, look, I said, the bottom line is I found that there's somebody in every company that will write a check. You just have to find who that person is. So I'll give you a, you know, I'll give you a couple of days to think it over. Let me, know, uh, let me know what you want to do. And I hung up the phone and as I hung up the phone, I'm thinking to myself, I don't think I'm going to tell anybody around here that I just did that because if we blow this, I don't want them to know that it was my fault. The guy calls me back two days later and he says, you know what, I ran it uh, up the chain of command and the relationship is so important that here's what we're willing to do. We're willing to give you 50% upfront and, uh, and then 50% upon uh, completion of the work. And, uh, and I said, I can't do it. I said, I can't do it. The best I can do is 50% um, upfront and then 50% net 90. And uh, you know, because net 90 is your, is your standard pay practice, on the 91st day, we will stop work. I said, because that's, I, I told you, we will have to charge you more uh, otherwise. Um, and he, he agreed to it and he did it. Same thing happened with Pfizer. Pfizer Pharmaceuticals was the same way. Now IBM was only a million dollar engagement, right? Pfizer Pharmaceuticals was a $10 million study on Lipitor. And it was, it was a year and a half study. 
And I said, look, I said, there's two ways we can do this. You can pay me $10 million upfront, or you can pay me $12 million by paying me six uh, in year one and, uh, and six at the beginning of year two. I said, the choice is yours. And they paid the, and they paid the $10 million upfront. And we developed a reputation for being a firm that asked, and they said, McKinsey doesn't do that. I'm, well, I'm not McKinsey, I'm Gallup. Or you know, if we, were, if we were McKinsey, maybe we could afford to wait for the money, but we just can't. Point is, the reason I tell you that is not to, to tell you stories about how I play chicken with the livelihood of my partners and myself. Um, the reason that I tell you that is because if I can do it with those companies, you can do it too. Now, will you lose business? I can't say you won't because I don't know your clients, all right? But what I will tell you is that if you do lose business, the business you lose will probably be less of a headache for you having walked out the door in the beginning than you having to wait and then take a 20% reduction at the end. That's just, that's just my thinking. Of course, you have to do what's right for you. Yes, Steve? Mm-hmm. The problem that I see, at least most of my clients, don't want to do flat fees. Mm-hmm. They want to do hourlies. Great. And it's real hard when you're doing hourlies to get that kind of a big swing up front. Sure. You can get a retainer, though. I do get a retainer. And you can bill against it and replenish it at a certain threshold. No, I don't bill against it. I keep it just in you keep it Keep it as a security deposit? Yep. All right, so my preference for doing that, and, and John may have some thoughts on this. Um, my preference for doing that is if you're doing the retainer as a security deposit, what you do is you have two sets of funds. You have a retainer as a security deposit, and that gets applied to the last bill. And then you also have a monthly retainer that you bill against that once, get, once it gets down to X, gets replenished. If they don't replenish it, you draw on the security deposit and stop work. The challenge that you will have, though, as, a, as an attorney, is in some cases your ability to withdraw may be compromised by the court. So you gotta, you gotta balance that. You have any so thoughts? What's the, Brian, what's the Florida bar rule on this? I mean, it, now, I'm, we're in a multi-state form, so we always, if we get money in advance, it's called on account, yes. and you cannot draw on it until you- Until you do the work. Done all that, yes. or at least that dollar value work. I know, there yes. A rule in Florida that lets you draw on it before- Well, you for agreement, I mean, the Florida bar always says that but for a contract between the parties, this is how we're going to deal with it. So the Florida Bar's position is only that they'll get involved in a fee issue if the fee is clearly excessive. You know, the problem with lawyers, and I seem to start a lot of conversations. <laughs> yeah, so you, sh- you should just stipulate that every, every sentence starts with the problem with lawyers. <laughs> that things have been done a certain way for such a long period of time that everyone thinks that's the way it has to be. Right. I mean, I remember when I started talking to lawyers about non-refundable fees, they were like, what? Like, you can, we, we always refund like what's left of the retainer because most lawyers act like a taxi cab and that's what clients have come to expect. Clients have come to expect that they are gonna pay a lawyer for the time they spend on the case and not the value that they provide. And I know this is something you talk about a lot, but I get this from clients when they come in and they go, you know, how much is it to write a letter to the bar? And I say, well, no, A, it's me writing a letter to the bar on my letterhead with the bar counsel who I know, who I've known for 15 years. And it's not just writing a letter. I have to like talk to you and read the file. 
clients don't understand what lawyers Yeah, they're paying, they're paying for the relationship, your experience, all that stuff. That's exactly. what they're paying for. So the, the Florida bar basically says if you have an agreement and your agreement is, listen, you're going to put $50,000 in my trust account. And regardless of the work I do on your case, I'm, I'm going to be working on your case, but I'm drawing down $5,000 a month. I'm going to keep track of my time, but the minimum that I'm going to charge you to represent you is $5,000 per month. If the client says, hey, I'm good with that, then you're good to go. But lawyers don't work that way because for so many years, we've gotten into this billable hour thing that we trained clients to say, well, how much time are you gonna spend on this? And that's how they determine right. the fee. So you can get very creative with retainer agreements and you can say, you know, I have what I call an engagement fee. And my engagement fee is this is what it costs to engage me. Regardless of what I do in your case, the fact that I'm going to be your lawyer, this is what it's going to cost. Now I'll keep track of my time, but this is the fee, this is it. If I, if I call the bar and they say, sorry to bother you, have a nice day, that's my fee. Five minutes, whatever. But, but I think lawyers, and I'm going through this in my firm right now, we're talking about flat fees. And, and the biggest fear with law firms is we're gonna get screwed. Because especially in the litigation case, yeah. We, don't, we, we think we know what this case is going to take to resolve, but if we have some guy on the other side who's going to make our life miserable, then what do we do? Well, you put contingencies in it. You know, you have a flat fee schedule for certain things, and yeah. you have contingencies. You say to the client, look, if this is what happens, this is the fee. But if it goes this way, th this is not going to be the fee. It's, it's, I don't mean to be condescending, but it's kind of basic. Will you, uh, will you invite me in to do a learn at lunch? I went over this with Brett and Jeff years ago, but I want to invite me in to do a learn at lunch because I still have my notes from the work I did with them on how to present a, uh, a value-based fee agreement. And I'd love, to, I'd love to go back through it with the guys in your firm. Okay. So, uh, remi and remind them because it'll be a good reminder for them to, yeah. I, I'd like to beat them up over this a little okay. bit because they, they should have been doing this. Uh, we, we went over this years ago. Um, a couple of other thoughts, all right? Do all you guys accept credit cards? If you don't accept credit cards, you're nuts. You need to, I mean, look, if somebody says they can't pay you, but they have a credit card, let it be, let them put it on the credit card and pay the, and pay the card off rather than pay you in installments. Even if you're in a business to business firm, you'll be amazed at how often you can, you can take credit cards for stuff. And don't worry about, you know, I, I always get this too, um, so I'm gonna preempt it now, so please nobody say it. Don't worry about the credit card fee, okay? It's a cost of doing business. So, you know, raise your rates by 5% and take credit cards. If you want, raise your rates by 10% and take credit cards. This is America, you can do whatever you want, at least for a little while. Um, you know, but uh, don't, uh, make it easy for people to pay you. Take checks, do, do, you, do all you guys accept cash? This place here doesn't accept cash. I forgot to check one time and I'm like, I'll go to the ATM. They're like, oh no, we don't accept cash. Who doesn't accept cash? I love cash. Take cash, take, take credit cards, take everything but Bitcoin, all right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I have this thing about artificial currency though, I don't know. Although, if you look at the dollar these days, anyway, let's not get into that. Um, all right, rule number four. Brian, what's the number one reason, please give me the right answer, number one reason uh, people get bar complaints? Ah, thank you so much. All right, still number one. Communicate too much too often, okay? Communicate too much too often. Number one reason for bar complaint is people, the, lawyers don't communicate enough with their clients, all right? 
I have been guilty of this, and that's one of the things that I'm, that I'm uh, working on in 2018. I'm going to communicate with you guys more often. I, I need to communicate with my clients more often. Force people to tell you to stop sharing information with them. Force people to tell you to stop sharing information with them. My daughter is six years old, and she's super smart. But one of the things she says to me a lot is, I feel like I'm talking too much. Am I talking too much? And I will never tell her that she's talking too much, but her mother tells her all the time. <laughs> she, stops, she, she talks from the minute she gets up until the end of the day when she goes to bed. Communicate too much information too often. So I know that there are some times when uh, you have a result or an issue or something that has happened in a case that you don't think you're ready to share with the client because things could change, okay? And I think it's okay for you to wait that 24 or 48 hours to see what's gonna happen or to see if things are gonna change. I think it's okay to do that unless the client calls you and the client says to you, hey, what's going on with my case? Or hey, did you get a phone call? Did you get the results? At that point, I think you gotta be, I think you gotta, you gotta disclose to them what's going on. Now, you can set guidelines for communication. If you've got a client who calls you too often, or you got a client who calls you, you know, in between milestones on a case, and there's nothing to tell them at that point, that's okay. What you should do is this. You say, listen, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to set us up on a weekly communication schedule. If there's nothing to report to you, someone from my office will send you an email and it will say, we're working diligently on your case. There's nothing new to report. When there is something new to report, you'll hear it directly from me and you'll hear it as soon as I know it. My preferred method of communication is telephone, email, whatever, okay? Set the expectations first and make the expectations things you can live up to, but then live up to them. Communicate too much too often. Any, any thoughts on that? Anybody have any, anything they want to share about communication? Yeah, just be careful that you don't just rely on email communication because you, you run the risk of losing the relationship. I love it. I agree. I prefer, my, my own preference is the telephone. Um, I mean, face-to-face -face is, is, is obviously way better. It's really hard for people to remain angry with you in a face-to-face -face environment if you, if, like if you screw up really hard for people to remain angry with you if you're face-to-face -face and you truly are sorry. It's very difficult for them to hold that anger for 45 minutes face-to-face. -face. On the phone, they can be angry with you for a long time. In an email, it's infinite. They can be angry with you forever. I have a state client that I've been doing a video conference once a month. And we have a, we have a meeting once a month. I like that. It's like yeah. Skype or, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's good. Simple, yeah. It's, you know, and it works and it's like we see each other. Super. All right, rule number five. Suspend the need to be right about small or inconsequential or stupid things. Suspend the need to be right about small or inconsequential or stupid things. Okay? Everybody know who Aaron Judge is? Yankees, uh, Yankee slugger. He hit second in the order toward the end of the year. Hit 52 home runs. Batted like 289, I think, uh, this year rookie, right? He's going to be a superstar, okay? He struck out 208 times, right? 208 times. The other day, I was doing a presentation and I said he struck out 201 times and a guy says to me, no, he didn't. He struck out 208 times, okay? <laughs> you don't want to be that guy, all right? Do not be that guy. 
Suspend the need to be right about small, inconsequential, or stupid things. It's just not that important, all right? Your life is not an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. You don't need to be right about placement of a napkin on the dinner table, all right? You know why? Because nobody wins by making the client or an employee or especially your spouse feel stupid, okay? Nobody wins when that happens. You don't win, they don't win, it's bad. Steve. He hit 283. Ah, thank you so much. All right. You know, and I'll give you uh, I'll give you some examples. All right. So your your client your client misquotes something like Shakespeare. Okay. You don't need to correct them. All right. Your client says the word nuclear instead of nuclear. Okay. We had a president of the United States who did that. Let it go. It's not a big deal. Okay. Your client misuses. I encourage you to share it with your wife. Your client misuses implied and inferred. They mix them up, okay? Let it go. It's not that big a deal, all right? With the exception of professional communication to a judge, your communication to a client, let the typos go, all right? It's not that important that you correct a typo in the email from your aunt. Working remotely can be a challenge especially for teams that are new to it. How do you deal with your work environment being the same as home while staying connected and productive? And then there's your newest coworker, the cat. Well, your friends at Trello have been powering remote teams globally for almost a decade. At a time when teams must come together more than ever to solve big challenges, Trello's here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format, plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Trello keeps everyone organized and on the same page, helping teams communicate, focus, and connect. Teams of all shapes and sizes at companies like Google, Fender, Costco, and likely your favorite neighborhood coffee shop all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O.com. Trello.com. Sadie to you wishing you a happy birthday. Not a big deal. Let it go. Vanessa, you had something? No? Okay. Oh, Steve. Give you an example of that. The young lawyer I was meeting with the clients, and I used a Latin term. I think it was res ipsa. I can't even remember what it was. Wrong. Use English. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good example. You know, it's really important with your spouse, too, because my wife will tell a story with some people, and she'll get something wrong, and I've learned to just shut up. I don't need to correct her on a story she's telling when what I'm saying is just inconsequential and it's embarrassing. Yeah. Well, and what it says, here, here's, here's how, here's how I've tried. I, you know, I, I Sometimes, it's really difficult if you have kids because you want to teach them the right way to do things, but you don't want to teach them to do this, right? So what I've done is I've, uh, I, I constantly remind myself that when we do this, it says more about the person doing the correcting than the person who they are correcting, right? So if I correct you, that's about me, like on, on something stupid, right? If you misstate a fact that's gonna get us all killed, I have a duty, I have a responsibility to stop that, right? 
I have a, a responsibility to, to set things straight. Now, there's a nice way to do it, and then there's you know a, a, a jerk way to do it, and you try to do it the nice way as much as you can. Um, but when it comes to small things, you know the person who corrects the small thing, and we have actually I'm recording this. So there's someone that I know, okay, who who has a habit of doing this. So we get together at family functions, particularly when there's a lot of people around. And folks will be telling a story, and the guy's like, "Well, no, that's not exactly right. You know, the 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 Mercedes S550, uh, you know, it doesn't weigh 6,000 pounds; it weighs 6,400 pounds. You know what I mean?" And everybody around the table is looking at him like, well, "Okay, you know." And and it's it, this is something that this person does all the time. It says more about them than it says about the person that they're correcting, and that's what I tell myself constantly to try and keep myself from doing that. So suspend the need to be right about the small things. Rule six, say no without excuses. Say no without excuses. There is nothing better than the feeling of saying no to something you're gonna hate to do, all right? I mean, I love to say no to things. You know, when you think to yourself, I really wish I didn't have to do this, that's something that you should have said no to, all right? Make a note in the future to say, to say no to stuff without, without having to worry about it, okay? Um, I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a party that we're invited to, um, and I know it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a miserable experience. So I just explained to my wife, look, if you want me to go with you, I'll go. It's, it's fine, but I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna be miserable, and it's gonna be awful. Why don't I keep the kids with me, you go to the party and have a good time, and she was thrilled because she didn't want the baggage of having me there and be miserable. And she was thrilled because she doesn't have to worry about the kids. I'm going to take care of the kids. And I'm thrilled because I'd rather spend time with a six and a nine-year-old than go to this party where I'm going to be miserable. So, you know, saying no without having to worry about excuses, that's your right, okay? Now, I understand that we all have obligations. We all have things that we feel we're obligated to go to. But... Realize that if you don't take care of yourself first, nobody else will. So if you can say no, um, you take back more control of your life. By, and it's so much better than forcing yourself to go somewhere um, that, you're, that, you're not gonna be, that you're not gonna be happy. The reason that we say yes when we should say no, very simple, it's just guilt, okay? Uh, I, hereby admi- I hereby relieve you of that feeling of guilt. You never need to feel guilty if you say no to something that, uh, that is going to put you in a position where you're gonna be uncomfortable or you're gonna feel bad for having to do it. Any thoughts on that? All right, um, positive self-talk. Practice positive self-talk. All of you, all of us, are, we're under-recognized, okay? We are, as adults, nobody, nobody comes up to us and says, now, you know, like you say to your kids all the time, hey, you did a great job today. I'm really proud of you. I'm proud that you tried that new thing. We're all under-recognized. So here's what I want you to do. At the end of the day, I want you to keep a little notebook. John, where's that notebook that you had? See that notebook that John has there? He's got a little notebook, okay? Get a notebook like that. You can get it across the street at CVS. It's probably like $2 or $4, right? Put it by the side of your bed. Before you go to sleep, write down three things you did that were great today or that you did right today. Three things you did right today. And then after you do that, go back and look at the last 10 days or leaf through the last month and review things that you did right. The reason I want you to do that is because 
We spend 90% of our time thinking about the very small things that went wrong. You do hundreds of things right every day. Somehow you guys all got here today without crashing your cars, without running anybody over, right? You did that right, okay? You're gonna go to work today and you're gonna do a good job for somebody. Remember that and write it down at the end of the day, all right? You're gonna make somebody feel good today. Remember that you did that and write it down at the end of the day. You're delivering value for people. Think of one instance where you delivered value and write it down at the end of the day. Catch yourself doing things right. Focus on that before you go to bed every night and you'll be amazed at how you wake up in the morning and you actually feel good, you know? How many of you, and I have this bad habit too, so I'm not looking to place blame. How many of you fall asleep with the TV on and then you turn the TV off when you see it, right? Okay. One of the worst things you can ever do, worst thing you can ever do is fall asleep with the news on, particularly cable news. It is awful. You will, I promise you will wake up grumpy in the next morning. You'll feel terrible about things, all right? If you like to fall asleep with the TV on, put on, put on comedy or put on something that's light, like a, you know, a light movie or something, if you feel like you need to fall asleep with the TV on, don't fall asleep with the news on. There's a direct correlation to how you feel the next day based on what you think about when, before you go to sleep at night. The last thing you think about should be things that you did during the day that were positive because that will affect how, you, uh, how your subconscious is overnight. It will affect how you feel the next morning and that affects your self-talk, all right? In the shower, you probably think about, oh, I got these 15 things to do today. I can't believe I got to do this. I can't believe I got to do that. Instead of thinking about that, think about the things you're looking forward to. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to see Steve Klitzner in this meeting today. He always makes me laugh. He's the greatest guy in the world. Things like that. Okay? That's, yeah, he, yeah Steve Klitzner says that to himself in the shower. Oh, I can't wait to look in the mirror. I'm such a great guy. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Um, last one. Look for respect, not acceptance. This is my favorite one. Look for respect, not acceptance, okay? Who cares if people don't like you, you know? Buy a dog, you know? Dogs give unconditional love. Be nice to your family, all right? But look for respect, not acceptance. You don't have to, and, and I think as a group, lawyers are pretty good at this for the most part. You're not gonna tell somebody something just to make them happy because, you know, it may be against the law and you can't do that. But all of us in business tend to err on the side of saying things that we think people want to hear. And, um, and I'll tell you that it is better from a marketing perspective as well as from a self-confidence perspective to state exactly what you feel uh, and exactly what the facts are and let the chips fall where they may. Now you can be kind and nurturing in the way you deliver the message. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but being truthful with people, being honest with people, being direct with people is something that folks appreciate and they will respect you. Um, you know, the perfect example of this in this room is Tannenbaum. I respect Tannenbaum uh, tremendously. I don't always like him. Um, but, I, but I respect him. And the reason I respect him is because I don't have to worry about the way, what he's thinking. I know what he's thinking. You know why? Because he tells me all the time, even when I don't ask, okay? That's what you should strive for. Maybe not, you know, that. But 
you know, you should strive for people to respect you, not to accept you, all right? Um, your strength comes from within. If you are intrinsically motivated and you feel good about where you are in your life and who you are as a person, then you don't have to worry about the acceptance of others, you know? The best feeling in the world is to come home at the end of the day and have your kids waiting for you, your spouse waiting for you, or, or a, a really good dog, uh, you know, waiting for you to make you feel good. That should be uh, what we're going for in terms of acceptance in our professional life. And you have friends who, you know, accept you unconditionally. Um, you know, get your needs met for acceptance in those places. Don't look to get your needs met in that way from work because the, the, the expectation at work is that people should respect you, not that you should feel some need to fit in with the people um, you know, with whom you work or who you represent. Give us your feedback on each episode and get access to our free sales training course at dothissellmore.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Do This, Sell More.